How would you like to improve your relationship? How would you like to respond differently in a way that facilitates mutuality and encourages connection? We look forward to addressing these issues together and welcome you to Ask Arlo, a program that seeks to help you identify negative patterns and respond in new ways that can promote a more positive relationship. Now, here is the host of Ask Arlo, Arlene Majorano. Hi there. So my name is Arlene Majorano, and I'm introducing my guest today, Jordan Dan. And we're going to talk about um, something called the system for analyzing verbal communication, or in a general, more general way, just how do how do we speak to each other so that we are effective, respectful, and actually heard? How do we speak to each other so we both give the other ter- person what they um, give them respect, and how do we, at the same time, get what we need? Those two things are often um, mutu- they're the same. They're the, it's the same action that gives respect and gets respect. So um, uh, let me just do a little brief in- intro, which um, about this system. The system of uh, analyzing verbal interaction was first developed in about the 1960s by Yvonne Agassarian and Anita Simon. And for me in the 60s, it was a revolutionary. I went to a workshop. I don't even know how I found out about it, but it was revolutionary for me as a human being because they talked about how there was no place for the explosive venting of anger in mature adult relationships. And you had to speak with all this respectful, responsible language. And I grew up in this Italian Neapolitan family where we cursed in two languages and we did sign language. And it, it was like a freedom of speech. It was exuberance. It was energy. And I kept raising my hand and saying that venting anger was, it was an expression that was part of human communication. And we had to be allowed to vent our anger in that way. And they kept saying very calmly, very peacefully, very gently, that no, no, the task in an adult relationship was to express these feelings responsibly. And by this, she meant no screaming, no blaming, no attacking, no sarcasm, no giving ultimatums, no threats. Uh, She called those red behaviors. And um, she asserted that they were guaranteed to create polarity, dysfunction, distance, and she suggested that we use green behaviors, statements that expressed our inner needs and feelings, which will create an atmosphere of agreement, cooperation, openness, trust. And um, it was an eye-opening set of ideas for me that we're actually more effective in relationships when we use the green behavior, when we're vulnerable, Uh, when we take the risk of inviting other people to hear our needs and when we hear theirs. And we're least effective when we use red behavior, when we attempt to defend ourselves by attacking, interrupting, discounting, and inviting defensiveness when we do so. Uh, So, and, you know, that's the caveman innate um, reflex in us. We, We want to defend ourselves. We have to defend ourselves. So it takes some work to get to the place where we can be vulnerable and express a need 
and um, be open to being disappointed, but also creating the ground for getting what we need. So that's the, the rough um, like summary that I have about the savvy, the, uh, the nickname of it is savvy system of analyzing verbal interaction. And Jordan, do you want to add anything to that? Um, not yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. So what I, another, I don't know if I just said this, but when we get angry, when we attack, when we blame, it's always because we feel hurt. We feel like we need something. We feel we're frustrated by something. There's always a reason that we get angry, right? There, there's a, and there's a quote that I love. There's always a good reason that a good person does a bad thing. Because underneath, there's always a good reason that we might get inappropriately angry. And so our job is to try to be aware of that and be responsible in how we speak. And then our partner's job is to be aware of that and try and be curious about why we might be saying something that's uh, attacking or defensive because there's a reason for the other partner doing that. So it's like a mutual uh, uh, like set of responsibilities, I feel. I'm responsible for speaking my need in an open way, and my partner's responsible for hearing why I might not be doing that, but seeing that there's a, a reason underneath. And then there's... A, there's a, another interesting like factoid is that we have like about one or two, like two times um, before we lose it, before we go off into the, the, uh, the amygdala, the part of the brain that has to defend itself, goes off into defense mode. And then it's very, very hard to come back. Uh, so we, we, we have to, if we can, catch it <laughs> before we go off into the stratosphere in 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 your saying you know there's always a reason that someone does a bad thing and sometimes that bad thing is just how one is languaging themselves to their partner i think what's so crucial is that both for ourselves and for our partner that we're we can always be holding that two of the, those reasons are nervous system dig, dysregulation and our histories. Right, our histories, right. So, you know, I think, you know, just as an Imago relationship therapist myself, something that I think is, has, has, was certainly so kind of transformative in my, in my own marriage was working inside of a structure that creates safety. And, you know, I, I heard your episode around nonviolent communication, which is so, so much about teaching someone to orient towards themselves, which is a completely much more vulnerable and way of speaking about one's experience and does create an invitation where someone can, where our partner can lean in and be more curious, have more capacity for curiosity, as opposed to um, hearing language that is fault making that puts the other person on the on the defense. Right, right. 
And, you know, you said when, just to take off on what you were saying about the early childhood nervous system, you know, the, the, what's triggered in a nervous system. Sometimes I feel like when we say things in a couple um, and inappropriate things, like, like things that aren't going to get us anywhere, attacking, blaming, uh, like discounting, threatening, all these things that we can say. Um, in what, and I'm not sure if this is like a good thing or a bad thing. It's a thing that you can pretty much only do in your relationship with your partner who's mirroring the symbiotic tie. But we finally get to haul out and say all the things we never could have said as a vulnerable child. Like we get to say the things that we wish we could have said to a mother or father who was abusing us. So uh, I don't know if that, in the end, we have to try to um, obviously speak from a more vulnerable place because that our partner is not our parent. But we, we, we get this space to be, um, to have the child have a voice that it was never allowed to have. Again, for better or for worse, I, 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 I'm of both sides on that one, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, but we never, ever, ever say some of the things that we say to a partner and that we feel safe saying in, to a boss or to a colleague or to even sometimes mostly a friend. We, we never would do that, ever. We have a way of monitoring. But then with our partner, we do not monitor in the same way. So, um, what, should we talk about the red behaviors? Yeah. Okay. Or you have something else you want to yeah, No, that, that sounds great to just clarify what the three zones are. Right. So, there are three zones roughly, and then we'll maybe go into each one. But the red one it, it, it is basically attacking behavior, um, attacking, competing, um, but protecting ourselves, we're not vulnerable when we're doing that. We're fighting for our lives. We're, um, and as, as Harville Hendricks says in Imago, would you rather be right or be in a relationship? But when, when we're in the red, we're, um, we, we want to be right, period, end of story. We're fighting to be heard. We're fighting for the rightness of our position. So to me, that's the red behavior. Um, yeah, and I would just add a nuance to that, Arlene, which is that... We, we are vulnerable when we're in the red, which is why the defensive kind of response is so strong. Right, right. We're vulnerable and then we try to protect ourselves rather than remain vulnerable. Yeah, so maybe yeah. The, the clarification is like being in touch with our vulnerability and letting our partners witness right. and experience our vulnerability. Right. And if we can do that, then we're in the green, right? We're in the green behavior where we're um, empathizing, where we're inviting empathy, where we're, comprom we're either compromising or attending to hear the other and be heard and find a solution and um, sharing our feelings and, and projecting that the other person is going to care about us as opposed to that they're not going to care. So we're projecting positive intention to our our partner. Mm -hmm. Anything else about the green? Yeah, no, I just, I mean, you focus on positive projection a lot in your work. And I think that that is, is so crucial um, to, you know, with all of our attachment needs, there's, 
all of those beliefs or fears of what won't be met or responded to arrive out of the past um, and make it so difficult to hold the possibility that our partner wants to respond or or has good intent or even has um, or even in those moments where it's so threatening has their own differing needs and experience right, right. they open to. And even if they might not have good intent in the moment of, of, of you know, being, being mutually triggered, if we project that they might and we act from that space, we, we probably can create or we have the best chance of creating that positive intention in return. Um, I always say it's like if you walk down the street and you're smiling, somebody smiles back. If you're grumpy and, you, you know, nobody talks to you. <laughs> so it's you, in very subtle ways, you can, you can create the outcome that is a positive, connected outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so should we, let's see. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious about if maybe there's a way for you to speak generally about like how you bring this awareness to to couples like and how I guess part of my curiosity here is how can they support one another if they if they have this language about um, red green and yellow how can they support each other to um, come back into the yellow or the green once either of them starts to step into the red? Well, you know, it's funny with a lot of the couples I work with and with myself, um, the the thing about the colors is very concrete and very like simple to get. So often people will say to me, I know I was speaking in the red and I'll feel that too. I know I'm speaking in the red and I have to speak in the green. It's very, um, it's very, people get the colors <laughs> and all that the colors, you know, mean, but everything that's contained in, in the color, uh, like schema. It's very, I think, simple, but powerful. Simple. So, but- it, so it sounds like kind of what you're hoping is that um, each individual can start to kind of be their own coach or their own supervisor to help them come back to more um, kind of securely attached, vulnerable language. Right. And, you know, sometimes I tell people once it starts, because, again, you get like two or three times, um, you get it, and then you can feel the red be- language and the, uh, the fighting starting to uh, begin. And I, I, I ask people to come up with a phrase. I was once in a workshop, and, uh, and the, the leader said, um, just say, let's not start, let's not start, like calm. But I make each person think of their own sentence. So some people might say, let's not go there. Some people might say, oh, we're in trouble. Whatever people feel is the words that work for them, that they can have an agreement. Um, some people come up with funny words I'm not remembering now, but you know, just whatever they know is their signal. If one of them can do it, then the other one can follow. Right. This is, and this is why I feel like having a somatic awareness, having mm-hmm. a sense of one's own nervous system really 
knowing when dysregulation is, we have to take responsibility for our nervous system. Um, and that pausing, because, because I feel like what's so important to understand is that when we get dysregulated, when we move into flight or fight response, our, we don't, as you've talked about, we don't have access to our prefrontal cortex. And in line with that, we're in an ego state of all of the thoughts and stories that are commiserate with the trauma response that we're in. And so we like the, the pausing, as you're saying, or the taking, taking time to move away really does give us the capacity to see the reality as opposed to the the history that we're, mm-hmm. we're fighting against right the reality of the present moment that the, you know my husband and i we just say well some we just say let's not ruin the day let's not ruin the weekend let's not ruin the night <laughs> and one person um tries to be the it's like a zen voice you know like a meditative calming if one person can do that, sometimes you have to do it over and over and the other person is still trying to fight or defend. Let's not do that. Let's not go here over and over until the brain calms down because the brain yeah, has to get. Totally. Yeah. And I love that, that you have enough history with each other that one, one of you can have even be a reminder of invoke what the emotional hangover is if you do go down the red. Right, right. Um, I mean, the good thing about, and the bad thing, the good thing is that we do have the history. The bad thing is that we probably fought for 30 years, <laughs> much more than you, probably in your your partner. And that finally, at some point, you just say, come on, this is, I mean, if you're lucky, this is, let's not do this anymore. This is, you know, and we have a way to not do it. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, in kind of, again, just coming back to Imago, mirroring, just the process of mirroring, even if my husband will sometimes mirror me when I'm in the red a little, and just as he starts to do that, I can feel myself regulating, I feel his calming presence, that he's he's there with enough regulation and access to himself that he can choose to reflect me and my language. And just doing that starts to help me even hear myself. And then I can even become a little choiceful of, oh, okay. I'm not in a, I'm not gonna be in a kind of negative down cycle with, with him and have some access to choice here. And, and the amazing thing is that we get into these negative cycles and we don't get what we want. You know, we, we defend ourselves against some imaginary injury or a real injury, but the, the, the degree of it is, is, is imaginary. It's too, it's, or exaggerated. So we get to do that, but we don't get what we want. We don't get to be heard. We don't get connection. Um, so we're, we're really fighting against ourselves when we fight. Mm-hmm even though we feel like we're defending ourselves mm-hmm. or fighting for ourselves. We're not. Um, so should we talk a little bit about the actual, like, so let's just kind of talk and, and it can get really complicated even, you know, I don't, I can't really understand all the different um, specific um, 
ways that uh, Anita Simon and Ivana Akazarian break this down into all these like little pieces. But in the big picture, um, it, it, we're talking about how do we relate like person to person? Like, um, so do I put, put you down? <laughs> do I attack you? Blame you? Uh, you know, have outrage about how stupid you are or what an idiot you are? Um, uh, complain about how you never do anything. Am I sarcastic? You're, you know, oh, great. You're so, you're such a fabulous person. (laughs) Uh, Do I globe? Oh, globalizing is terrible, right? You are such a selfish person. You only think about yourself. So we can globalize in that, uh, in that moment. Um, We can curse, target, you know, and I won't even say what they are, but we can, curse the other person out. Yeah, it sounds like everything in the red is what Gottman refers to as the four horsemen, shame, ah, um, okay. con- contempt, uh, resentment, defensiveness, stonewalling, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, shame, blame, criticism. They're all, those are all the indicators of um, disconnection and negativity. Right. It's interesting that you say Gottman because I always say everybody says it in a slightly different way, whether it's Gottman or Harold Hendricks or, or, you know, Simon and Agazarian or Fritz Perls or whoever it is, um, Marshall Rosenberg. And we go back to Hillel (laughs) and it's, it's the task of humanity to figure out how do we do this in a respectful way, uh, or how do we defend ourselves? And it, it's really, I don't even want to go down this road, but it's the task of nations, right? Which is too big a problem for us to solve. But we can see how as nations we get into this or as different political groups, we get into being polarized and not hearing the other. But at least with the one little like microcosm that we belong to, we have more of a chance than a whole nation or a whole political party, different, you know, we have a chance to put some good into our relationship and be effective. Yeah. Um, I think the point you make, you kind of emphasize globalization, globalizing language, which include kind of what I think you offer as couple swear words, always, never. Um, right, right. Just to really kind of hold, I guess, that how, what an, being on the receiving end of our partners globalizing, what an overwhelming flooding experience that is to be kind of character assassinated in this Mm -hmm, way. mm -hmm. And that kind of, that it makes sense that the person on the receiving end of that, that, that their own, their last line of defense is either to, you know, react, defend themselves, shut down, withdraw, um, and this is this kind of dance of responsibility. It's like if exactly, if, if we want to ha- be heard by our partners and give ourselves the opportunity to be responded to, then we have to take the responsibility of being very sensitive and responsible about the way we language ourselves. Right, 
But, but again, it goes both ways. And I agree, you know, character assassination is one of the most horrible things that we do. I mean, we do a lot of horrible things, but right, to say you're always selfish, you always think about yourself, you never care about me, it, it, it invites such defensiveness. But when we, if we go into the green, either we, we speak initially in the green or the the partner says, I'm feeling attacked. Please, let's not, let's do this a different way. Can you say what you need instead of attacking me? So it, it kind of, and sometimes I think like the, the person who's, the person who has the first salvo, it, and again, if they can be aware, that's great. But the first salvo just comes out <laughs> and the second person then has a chance to respond either by defending or also, or by from the green asking for for what the other person needs or is making what's making you so angry and then the first person has a chance to to like withdraw a little bit and breathe and become aware and if, it, it sounds just to clarify it sounds like you're saying yes the person expressing themselves has a responsibility but the person receiving the communication also has a responsibility mm-hmm. to either ask for a pause or to, it sounds like really as with as much regulation as possible, set a boundary or a limit that says, I don't want to, I can't, I'm not open to, I don't feel safe to hear you right now in the way you're speaking. Right. Something, something, whatever that statement is, they, they have a chance. It's like, and again, you get about one or two chances each time, each salvo, and then you're gone. I think it's hard to come back when you when you're so when your your amygdala gets so activated. So you really do want to catch it in in the beginning. Um, I'm feeling blamed. I'm feeling uh, well. The first is to try to say. So if we go back to the green and in that speaking from the person, um, we share our feelings. I, I'm disappointed that there are, that there are dishes in the sink. Um, can we try, and then a, a solution. Can we try to figure out a way to keep the sink clean? Um, we, you know, we assert what we need and we ask for a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, we say what we, we say what we, if we're hurt, we ask to be heard. So that would be our, fir- the, if the first person <laughs> in the salvo uh, takes can take responsibility, then that's what they they would do, right? Um, uh, they would ask for, or and and even maybe in what what she calls the yellow is you get information. So I, I have this example: somebody eats the um, the last piece of pie. <laughs> um, so either you say to bring it down, like to bring yourself down a little bit, you might get information um, from the person. Did you realize that was the last piece of pie? Uh, as opposed to, you're so selfish, you never think about me, you're such a pig, all you do is think about yourself. So if you, if you go into the red, um, we're, we're off to that, you know, salvo. But you could just, even if it helps you a little to bring it down and get the information. Um, and right. then, in, in a sense... What I'm, it sounds like in the yellow, as opposed to believing the negative projection, you're kind of checking out the negative projection with openness that actually um, 
that's not what's happening. Well, with the with the possibility, right, that that's not what happened. And um, I have just a couple of, if I say you're incapable of having a relationship, that's one thing. If I say um, the yellow would be breaking, I I thought we agreed we would, you would call me at noon. Was that your understanding? So I'm getting, maybe I'm, maybe I misunderstood or maybe, um, or at least I might even be giving the person the chance to say, Oh yes, I, it was what we said, but I, I'm sorry, but I got, I should have called and I got tied up at work or it gives a, it gives, there's like a slowdown. Um, another example, and there's tons of examples, but there's one, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you use that tone with me? But if we go to the yellow, um, I say, Oh wow, you seem really angry. Um, are you feeling upset about something? So you get the information. So the yellow kind of, it slows it down. And it's really valuable to do that. Yeah, and what I'm also reflecting on about your characterization of the green, which is kind of feeling, if, if it's an equation, feeling solution, I'm just thinking about so often when I work with couples, I talk about moving from being in opposition to one another to really standing side by side, looking at the dynamic together as, as allies. And right. in the green zone, you really, the second step of kind of offering a solution is being in collaboration about something that's shared because it's always shared. Right. It's always shared. So um, that's uh, not, it's such a more generous um, position to take is I'm, I'm, this is how I feel when this happens. And I'm with you to figure out how we might do something different. Right. And when you say a solution, I think there's always, you know, I can't even imagine a a situation (laughs) because we, we fight it where there's no solution. We fight about usually the stupidest things, like the dishes. But the, the underlying feeling isn't stupid. If we're fighting about the dishes, the underlying feeling is I don't matter uh, from childhood. If we're fighting about whatever, you didn't make the bed. It's often the underlying feeling is I don't matter. Sure, uh, right. I'm just even thinking kind of Esther Perel names three different dynamics that occur in couples, which are care and closeness power and control and respect and recognition. Right, right. Um, yeah. Right. I, so, I mean, that in and of itself, in my own marriage, but for couples is so transformative when and so clarifying when can stop paying attention to the content and really just pay attention to the music underneath. Right, right. So um, what, what are they again? It, it's a... a- Again, it's it's power and control. Um, power and control, care and closeness, and respect and recognition. Yeah. It, it's funny because respect and recognition and care and closeness, they, they often seem um, similar to me. <laughs> but, like, but maybe one is more about... Um, I, see, I see respect and recognition more as... Um, like 
you dismiss me in front of our of your family. You make plans with your friends without including me. You don't ask me about my work or acknowledge my professional skills. That's respect and recognition. Karen closeness is more like, why don't you kiss me in the morning? Mm -hmm. uh, why am I the only one who calls hello during the day? Um, right, right, right. Okay, so they 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 always seem a little close to me, but I get it. I get that there's but one is about mattering and um, being seen, and the other is about parent control, which is it's, that's an important one too. Yeah, I th I think of care and closeness really about like um, you know from a secure attachment standpoint. How accessible are you to me? How proximate are you? Mm -hmm. Okay, so really um, demonstrating love, demonstrating care, demonstrating attachment. Um, yeah, that when I reach for you, I can reach. I can grasp you. So those are the underneath these fights that we have. That it's easy to say they're silly, but they're not silly because underneath they're about these these really deep seated uh, like developmental traumas that and needs and uh, and we and uniquely you know i i have this thing that i discovered with my grandson um when i would pick him up at school he would he would like when i picked him up at as soon as we went into the street which was like an unknown like a dangerous location like it was he would take his little teeny when he was three his little teeny weeny hand and he would he would slip it into my hand like um I like he, you know, that was my job to keep him safe. He he was entitled. <laughs> I just slipped it in, and then we walked, and he held it the whole time. As soon as we got to his house where he felt safe again, he let go of my hand. And then one day, I was walking with my husband, and I did the same thing. I slipped my hand in, entitled to slip it in, and I realized I was the. I, he's the only person whose hand I hold. Right? Do you hold anybody else's hand? <laughs> yeah. No, not, I, I probably would like to, but but not not yeah, we, confidence to do that. So we really just, but I think with friends we might slip our arm in their in their in their arm and we'll go elbow to elbow, but we don't really hold hands. At least in the United States, my grand my my daughter in law says in Europe, or in Lebanon where she's from, they hold like people friends hold hands, but I don't. So anyhow, it was like a really it was like like a like an amazing kind of clarifying moment that this is the person who in my adult life mirrors the person whose hand I held when I was a little vulnerable kid <laughs> and, uh, and, and needed to feel safe and connected. So it, it just it kind of really made me appreciate on a very, very deep level what adult connection is, adult attachment really. And how we should never take it for granted, right? How important it is. And yeah, and just to look back to what, what we were saying about, you know, solutions. Um, I just, I think it's, you know, I think this is another, this is part of Dr. Gottman's research as well, but that 69% of relationship problems are unsolvable. Are unsolvable. Really? Oh, I, I would not think that. See, I would because think. I, I agree with it because in, I think in really getting to underlying dynamics, 
there isn't a solution. The, the solution is, or I would maybe even say the bomb, the bomb is, and the kind of pathway to deepening secure attachment is holding each other's differences and being sensitive to and aware of without even necessarily having to be different in our response. Right, but I would consider that a solution. If I if okay. I if I hear what you need and it's different than what I need and we can't meet, then we f- we figure out how we can live like we can survive <laughs> the great injury of not having our need met. Yes, but, and I see know. that as a solution as well, but I yeah. think it's very hard for couples to do that. That they think you got, they ha- think that each other has to change change their behavior, change who they are in order for um, peace or more connection to come about. Right. And I agree then that sometimes the solution is that there's no solution, but that we can figure out a way to live with difference, um, yeah, whatever to, it is. And to attend to how we, how we meet each other in mm-hmm. those differences. I mean, the biggest one is probably, you know, when people want to have a, um, you know, a non-monogamous relationship, and that can be a very, very difficult thing to negotiate. But I've seen people do it. So one person wants that, and they have rules around it, and and the other person can allow it, and um, either do it themselves or not. But it's possible, again, it's possible to find the solution, uh, even if it means not agreeing, of course, because we're not going to agree upon everything. So that's really important. I didn't mean that at all. But um, yeah, so I didn't, I wouldn't have said 69% of the time we weren't, we're not going to agree. But however much it is, uh, we're not going to agree all the time. And uh, we have to live with that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, so often when I've quoted that statistic, I find that, you know, my friends or couples can feel have kind of a shock about it. I see it's a tremendous relief, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To not have to agree, right. And that I can actually just work on acceptance of both myself and my partner as opposed to um, strategizing. You know, there's a line in the Imago dialogue that I love, which speaks to that, which is when we try to mirror and have empathy um, and validate the other, we can say to ourselves, I don't agree with you at all. I don't agree with you. Um, and if we want to go farther, I think it's stupid or I, whatever. I think it's unreasonable. I do not agree with you. But I see from your point of view why it's important to you or why it makes sense to you. And so I can hold on to my perspective and still allow you to have your perspective and not agree we're yeah, two different and people. And, and that's what's so healing is that when my husband can set himself aside enough to step into my world, it doesn't mean I don't have a need for him to relinquish his own. But um, what feels so connecting is that um, he can validate my experience from, from my standpoint. Right. And, you know, sometimes it's very, 
you know, this is probably, this is deeply personal, but my mother-in-law was a Holocaust survivor. So the worst thing that my husband could have done was married me because I'm not Jewish. And she was so mean and so rejecting. And like I had to leave sometimes from the back door when the uh, when certain people came because they couldn't see me. And I swear, people say I was a, a, a heroine, but I just said to myself, I, I understand why she feels that way. She was a victim of a savage, oh, it makes me cry really, a savage, you know, um, assault on her people, on her family. And of course she thinks that it's the worst possible thing. <laughs> and I, and I was like, I never, ever, ever, ever got mad at her. And I, and over time she, um, warmed to me. And even over time I had my kids by mitzvah because I knew it was important to her and to their history. What is your sense, Arlene, about how you were able to have that resource in yourself to have that much empathy. Sure. I I think partly it was understanding the gravity and the enormity of what she went through and where she was coming from. So that was a big part. It was so big. It was so, um, it was just so, you know, unbelievable what she went through. So I I just understood and, who knows? Maybe it was because um, I developed empathy because I was brought up without a lot of empathy from one of my parents. Um, so maybe, you know, sometimes you develop the opposite of what you've experienced. But part of it must have been it was so big and, you know, so easy to understand in a certain way. And to take it personally would have been um, really pretty selfish. <laughs> so I don't know how exactly I did it, but I think that must have been part of it, that it was like, if we weighed the, the two sides, <laughs> eh, you know, so what I could, you know, I had to leave through the back door. But what she went through was enormous in comparison. But it's an example of how we have to sometimes reach for that part of ourselves, as you're saying, to see the other person, even if it's not gratifying for us or what we want, or there's always a reason that somebody else is feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm just, you know, I, I love Imago so much when I first started training in it. I witnessed myself in this moment where the there was rain falling in through uh, our outdoor porch, and I looked at my husband. I, I kind of in shock, and he said, "Oh yeah, that happened. That happened before." And I felt myself, my body just react in rage of like, "Oh my gosh, this happened!" And you didn't tell me and I just had come from a training and I heard this phrase in my head, reach for the dialogue. (laughs) And I just took a breath and I said, can we have a dialogue about this right now? And I just, you know, as if there were two pathways, I could see the root of my anger, my attack on him and how badly he would feel. And this other pathway that I just created of keeping us both safe and ensuring that 
um, I could speak in a way that I would be heard and he would be able to hear me. <laughs> and what I always say to couples is, you know, Imago is like learning scales and the structure can feel uncomfortable, but we're going to keep doing the structure because being in the structure really does develop these habits of mind. And then at some point you're going to be jazz musicians and you can riff and you'll be able to pull these habits of mind into the free structure of how you speak with one another. And, you know, just to use our yellow, red, yellow, green, the Imago invites the green, right? It invites hearing the other, it invites valid validating and, and they even have a, a you know the uh, the end result is let's find a a gift so let's find a solution even if it's a small one um so yeah it's really he's he really um found a way to put all give us a, a to, to slow down the rage or the outrage and give, give us a structure to contain ourselves and and have a different path which was it's really such a gift. Um, but can we just do like a little bit, some of the red stuff that I think is important um, that we haven't made. The, oh, I know one that I think is really important is triangulation. <laughs> so if we try to um, go outside of the connection with our partner, with the person that we're having, and it could be a friend. It doesn't have to be like a, a love relationship or it could be a parent or it could be, if I um, have a, an issue with someone and I go to you and I say, Jordan, you, I can't, you can't, I can't believe what an idiot like John is. <laughs> uh, do you know what he did? He did this, 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 or the other thing. And I, I could like feel because out from my outrage entitled to tell you sometimes very intimate details. Um, and, and then or it could even be really intimate. I could tell you he comes too quickly or he's no good in bed or something like that because I'm feeling outraged. Um, what else could be like really? Or even maybe something, I don't know, he stole money from his job or something. I could tell you something horrible. And then I make up with my partner or friend or colleague or whatever. And then you know the secret. And it's such a terrible thing. Because you're, you're, I have no, I have no moral, ethical right <laughs> to give you that piece of personal information or that secret. And when you have it, then you're holding it and it's very uncomfortable for you, but I feel it's such a betrayal of the other person. So I'm like, really, I, I can even, um, I'm really strict about that with myself or I don't even like if my, my husband can't say anything about one of my sons to the other one. <laughs> this person feels bad about that. Because if the people want to talk to each other, they, it's their responsibility to talk. And if you go back in the back channel, then you open up, uh, you give information about the other person's vulnerability that they might not want the other person to have. And it's such a betrayal. So I, I'm like a triangulation uh, <laughs> police yeah. officer. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the concept of exits and closing exits in, in a relationship. And that's such an important exit that you're naming is when, um, when individuals go outside of the direct relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really important because our job is to, and our responsibility is to each other. 
and it's and it really is a it can be depending upon it, it can be a big betrayal or a minor betrayal but it's always a betrayal of some sort so I'm that's one of the things that uh, one of the red behaviors that I think is really dangerous the other one you know I'm looking at um, when we or when we when we do um, when we either when we make an ultimatum if you do that I'm leaving <laughs> If you do that, this relationship is over. So we assume a position of power with that, and and then we make the other person feel powerless in that moment. And uh, that's always a really bad moment. Yeah, because um, you know. you're 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 threatening the commitment, right? Creating right. instability in what can be a secure bond, right? So it's, you know, it's so, it's so much better to say, whatever, I'm so hurt. I, we need to work this out. Let's take a break even. Sometimes they say you can take a five-minute break where there's a beginning and an end or a 10-minute break. So it's not like uh, like to calm yourself down, but you know that there's a beginning or an end. And it's not, I'm leaving or I'm going to sleep somewhere else tonight or, um, yeah. where and the, And the other person has no... There's there's no uh, structure around that. It's just an empty void, a fear. Right, and an ultimatum. Uh, uh, ultimatum. The expression is, um, this is so fundamentally important to me, and I feel powerless in the your inability to respond. Right. But right, right. But the de- defensive response is to threaten leaving to regain some of that power right so the green would be i i really need you this is so important to me i need you to hear me um but right the ultimatum is is the red behavior and it's you know it's gaining a full sense of power and if the person can't hear in that moment we can talk about it maybe tomorrow or at dinner we don't we don't need it now In an ultimatum, when one wields power, actually the green is "I feel powerless." Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, but that's that statement is the statement of vulnerability, right? I huge, feel powerless. Huge vulnerability. A lot of vulnerability. You're not hearing. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing what's important to me. I, I I'm feeling not seen. Even the you, you is so dangerous, right? <laughs> It's hard to say you without pointing. Yeah, at me. even to say I feel like you're not hearing me. And right. My my husband has a you know because of his own history a more kind of avoidant withdrawing style of attachment, and he he actually is hearing me. He is hearing me, and it's scary, overwhelming. He has to have more distance. So what I perceive as not being heard is often not feeling him and feeling heard in the way that I want. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think even that nuance there is so important. We have four minutes. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess to say I'm, I'm feeling like you're not hearing me gives him a chance to say, uh, yes, I am. I am, but I'm, I'm just taking a break or I'm feeling close, you know, whatever he would say. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, let me just see, like, what, what, which other ones? Um, I, I always say the other curse words are should and ought. 
you know, the red, the red language is you should have, you, you never, you always. So those, those are, um, I orient toward you with using that language and it invites defense. Um, yeah, red, red also seems like invoking comparison or, you know, the rest of this is kind of globalization. Everybody else or, you know, you used to be able to or anything like that. Right. So to get to the green is our is our task, right? And we have two more minutes, but humor, agreement, acceptance. And and it really is important what you said. When when I say there's always a solution, I mean there's either a solution where we, we come to some kind of meeting or there's a solution where we agree there's there's no solution and your way is your way, my way is my way. And um, we respect each other's differences because there's two people. There's a funny statement. Um, you're, you're, it's like we're one person. We're so close. It's like we're one person and the one person is me because <laughs> it can't be me. It has to be us. The one person is us and the we is, is the, uh, the dynamic that creates the relationship, not the I. Yeah. So we may not agree. Um, let's see. Is there anything else we have? <laughs> it feels very tense coming down to the last two minutes. Um, I don't know. It's funny that it, it both it, it both jokes are both in the red and in the in the green. So I guess depending on how you use a joke and how you use humor, you could make a pathway in the yeah. green, or you could cause trouble. I'm always causing trouble. I always think I'm so funny and sarcastic. And brilliant, and then I make somebody mad fifty <laughs> percent of the time. But they're also saying humor can be a way to connect, collaborate. It can be in the green. So I guess it depends on your point of view, <laughs> how how you land, and also, yeah, I mean, how aware you are of the other person, how the other person might feel with your brilliant humor. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Um, all right. This is anything. Um, is there anything else before we have one minute now? <laughs> I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, me too. It's so much fun. Uh, and all right. And I'll see you soon. Okay. So I guess we can say uh, goodbye for now. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Ask Arlo. Arlene Majorano has another episode of the podcast coming soon. So keep checking back on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And be sure to visit AskArlo.com to ask questions and to find out more about the show. Until our next show, keep finding new ways to renew the relationships in your life.